Mets Musings is an unofficial, independent podcast covering New York's National League Baseball team. It is not affiliated in any way with Major League Baseball or the New York Mets. This is Len and Jeff from Baseball and Barbecue. And the one place to go for New York Mets news, past week game reviews, upcoming series previews, interviews, analysis, opinion, and and what's what's going going down down on the farm. farm. It's It's Mets Musings with Gary Mack. So keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello and welcome to another edition of Talking Golf with Gary, episode number 354. Got a terrific guest. Going to get to him, but let's uh, take a quick look at uh, some of the news is a little news pitches and catches folks they're in camp spring training is open yes and isn't that great we're finally getting there we're getting a baseball time i can't wait pitches and catches is here just wonderful wonderful news just to sound a little bit there. And the Mets have four players on the new Fangraph's Top 100 Prospects list. Peter Alonzo, first baseman, he checked in at number 48 on that list. Andres Jimenez checked in at 52. Ronnie Mauricio is number 68. And third baseman Mark Vientos is 92. All on the uh, Fangraph's Top 100s list. Uh, two of the players were on the Baseball Prospectus Top 101 prospect list. And the two representative, uh, Alonzo and Jimenez, were on the MLB Pipeline New Top 100 prospects list as well. On the new Fangraphs list, there was quite a comparison made with one of the Mets picks. Shortstop Ronnie Mauricio, who was 17 years old. 17 years old. He got compared to Fernando Tatis Jr., who everybody says is the number two or number three best prospect in all of baseball. They said in fan graphs that this is what Fernando Tatis Jr. looked like at age 17, talking about Ronnie Mauricio. So, um, hey, look, there's some there's some hope for the future. There are some players, they're low in uh, this, the farm system, but they're there, and they're going to be here soon. You never know. Okay, uh, Jacob DeGrom put in a deadline on uh, talking to the Mets about an extension Brody Van Wagenen seemed to say it's no big deal and everything. I don't like when a player makes the um, puts the deadline on the extension because uh, that could mean that he's ticked off. And uh, apparently he was a little ticked off that the um, uh, the talks weren't progressing much in the last few weeks. So... Um, 
But Brody seems to uh, suggest that it shouldn't be viewed as a negative. I would not be crazy about it. I think they should get him signed, give him what he wants, um, maybe try to talk him down. I don't know what he wants, but if he's looking for a long time, a lot of years, maybe talk him down a few years, but increase the money. So it's sort of in the same uh, area. Uh, but they got to get this guy signed. He's the, he's the key, you know. And then then they can work on Wheeler. Then they can work on Syndergaard. They can work on Mats. But um, you know, uh, they got to get the Grom. He's the whole key to the thing. So uh, Wilson Ramos is in camp, and he says that he is uh, you know hopes to stay healthy. He's been working out hard. He's got a strong arm. He's got good defense behind the plate. He's got a good power bat. Well, everything that the Mets were needing from that position. So uh, let's hope that he can stay healthy and uh, really be a big asset to the Mets. Uh, Team Tim Tebow is in camp or will be in camp within the next couple of days. He's going to report on Friday for spring training. He's offered a chance to return to the gridiron and pursue a football career in the new Alliance of American Football League. But he turned it down to come back to the Mets and play minor league baseball. So good for him. Um, I think we'll see him sometime this year, especially if an outfielder gets hurt. He could be one of the first people that they call up. So... Um, you know, uh, that's about the news. It's still kind of early. We'll be starting to get more news coming out as we uh, we pr- progress on. Uh, just looking at the story here, Jeff McNeil, not too concerned with uh, transitioning to the outfield. He's played it in the past, uh, even though it's been a while. He still has... Uh, no concerns about going back. And, uh, oh, this was an interesting story. Jerry's Familia is so happy to be back. He turned down more money and a bigger contract uh, to be a closer and uh, turned that down to come back to New York as a setup man. So good on him. Uh, maybe that'll mean he'll, he's happy being here. He likes it here in New York. So good on uh, Familia. Let's hope uh, we have a good team so we're not moving him again (laughs) Uh, during the season as what happens when you struggle, when you have a team that struggles. So um, congrats to uh, all of those guys. uh, That baseball season is finally here. Good for us, too, because we really missed it, didn't we? Um, Looking forward to it. All right. Got a great, got a great, great uh guest and we're going to talk about the Mets situation so i want to you know shut up and uh get him on so uh let's take a quick break and i'll be back with my guest right after this looking for great cardinals talk then check out conversations with c70 my name is Daniel Shoftaw, and I talk with some of the great bloggers on the internet today about their teams. It always goes back to the Cardinals. Find the latest episode on my website, www.cardinal70.com, or at baseballpodcast.net. Baseball and BBQ, your 
place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com, along with Mets Musings and other great baseball podcasts. With all the Mets news, it is the news from around the world and around the corner. Here's Gary Mack. Joining me this evening is the beat writer, the Mets beat writer for Newsday, and his name is Tim Healy, and he's on the line. Tim, welcome to Mets Musings. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, Tim, you're down in Florida, and you got warm weather down there. Yeah. <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah, I've been here a couple of days, and uh, a lot of Mets players beat me down here, of course, but uh, so far, so good. So uh, what's a day like uh, now for you before <coughs> excuse me, before spring training starts? And then uh, what's it like the first couple of weeks before the games begin? Well, at this point, with pitchers and catchers not reporting till Tuesday, got down here early for a couple uh, days of pre-camp, so to speak. Um, but it's honestly really low-key. The players who are here early go out to work around 10 a.m., um, so I show up by then to watch their bullpens and stretching and whatnot. Uh, probably doesn't sound very exciting, but at this point, <laughs> I think a lot of people would agree that any any bit of baseball, any action that vaguely resembles baseball uh, is a lot of fun and certainly welcome. So uh, they work out for about an hour, hour and a half. Some of the hitters take batting practice, things along those lines. Then usually uh, the Mets PR staff will help us <clears throat> with uh, get a player or two to talk to. Um, and then I'll write about that player that day. On Thursday, for example, is Zach Wheeler. We can read that on Newsday.com still. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's very low-key in these early stages. Now come Tuesday, once pitchers and catchers officially report, then the clubhouse will be open. So then you'll start to hear a lot more stuff from a lot more players. Callaway will talk, Brody Van Wagenen will talk, um, and then things will really be going full force. And, you know, we're so hungry, as you said, for any baseball news. That yeah. <laughs> it's a long <laughs> off season, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, fans just get crazy after a while. So uh, uh, thank goodness you're down there and, and feeding our appetite, if you will. Uh, you mentioned yeah. you mentioned Brody Van Wagenen, um, new GM. What's your opinion on him for so far? What, what do you uh, what do you get from him? Uh, as a fan, I I see a, a whole change in the attitude uh, of the organization. Do you do you sense that too? Yes. Uh, you know, in terms of Brody Van Wagenen's first few months. I think he did a, a pretty good job of reshaping the roster, plugging a lot of holes, um, making the organization deeper overall. Um, that said, of course, if you're a fan, I think you'll always be disappointed in the, the lack of the big-ticket item, no, no Harper, no Machado, yeah. nothing along those yeah. lines. But given the budget that Brody was able to work with, uh, you know, handed down from ownership, of course, I, I, I just think he did a reasonably good job um, allocating those resources. Um, in terms of the aura or vibe, energy from the team, I think Brody 
is a great public speaker. Um, he's good at talking up his players, his team, kind of convincing you that this is going to work and all of these moves are good. He's a very good public face for the team. Um, and now it's a matter of you know seeing if those moves actually work in practice, yeah. which should be fun. Yeah. Well, I, in a way, you know, that's half the half the battle, right? Selling. He's trying to sell the team um, to the uh, to the public, to the fans, to the season ticket holders, especially. And uh, you know, that's part of his job, I guess, a large part of it. Other than a, absolutely, you know. Yeah. Uh, of course, the acquisition of plays another large part. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Uh, you hinted on the, the depth and everything, and uh, what do you think of the bullpen as it's currently constituted? I still think there's a move somewhere coming, um, but what, what do you feel? I think the bullpen, the, the bullpen, for me, the bullpen is sort of representative of how the season as a whole can go for the Mets. Uh, there are some pieces there, for sure. If some things fall right, if a guy or two has a solid breakout season, uh, then it can be a big-time strength. Um, that said, it's no sure thing. You know, Edwin Diaz, he seems like a pretty good bet to be as good as he was last year, or at least be a very good, reliable, all-star caliber closer. Um, Familia, too. Seth Lugo, can he repeat his big 2018? Robert Gazelman, can he be good you know i think he, he mm-hmm. gets uh as a reliever he gets a little overrated and lumped together with seth lugo but gazelman for a lot of last season if you look at the numbers wasn't that good at preventing runs um and then there's justin wilson who is mostly a known quantity uh and then you know that was dozen or so probably yeah there's you know this whole bunch of optionable arms drew smith paul seawall tyler bachelor Mm-hmm. Daniel Zamora, Eric Hanel, you know, the list goes on. Um, which of those guys, if any, will break out and be truly reliable, effective relievers? I think uh, the effectiveness of the bullpen overall kind of relies on a couple of those question marks to become exclamation points. And, and, as you well know, I mean, bullpens are always hit or miss. I mean, one year they oh, can absolutely. be fantastic, the next year they can stink. So <laughs> you never really know with that. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. That's what I'm curious to see with Edwin Diaz. Now, as young as he was and as good as he was, as young as he is and as good as he was last year, you can mm-hmm. say, sure, you know, seems like a good bet to be very good again. Um, but then baseball's who knows? Baseball is always good at reminding you that nobody knows anything. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that way. Yeah. Well, the Mets got a catcher this week, and it's not exactly uh, JT Riamuto, who they wanted to get earlier in the offseason. Right. Uh, but they they did sign Mesoraco, uh to a minor league deal with a spring training invite. Um, I. I to me, I think that it was a good signing, um, and I think it's it's a somewhat of a curious signing. And and do you foresee uh, uh, him opening the season with the team Triple A? Uh, they also signed Wilson Ramos, of course, uh, during the off season. And uh, or or do you see them possibly moving Darno? It could go either way. I think if I 
the way I see it, Miserocco's in camp to compete for the backup job. Mm-hmm. You know, Wilson Ramos is the starter. That's not really a question at this point. Um, and it could go a number of different ways. If, if Darneau is hurt or bad or any combination of those, then sure, the Mets could just cut bait there and go with Miserocco as the backup. If Darneau is good, shows he's healthy, is hitting in spring, shows a little something for other team scouts who are always in the stands, and somebody come mid to late March needs a catcher, I, I could see them swinging a trade for mm-hmm. Darno uh, with Darno and going with Mezzarocco. Um, that said, if you end up with Mezzarocco opening the year in AAA, uh, that's a very, very good option to have uh, in, the, in the event that Darno, who has a long injury history, or Wilson Ramos, who has a long injury history, uh, goes goes down. So Mezzarocco, of course, himself has a long injury history. So mm-hmm. I think Mezzarocco on a minor league deal is, is, is a great signing for the Mets. Um, kind of a sneaky good move for them. This week. <laughs> and and there's that depth uh, uh, thing again uh, that that uh, Brody Van Wagenen has brought into this team. He's got a guy now, as you say, that if he opens in spring train uh, in Triple uh, A. He he, but he already knows the pitching staff. Uh, he knows mm-hmm. he knows the league, um, and uh, it, it gives the, some chance for Tomas uh, Nito to at least maybe get a little bit more seasoning. Right. Yeah. Nito drew some rave reviews defensively and for his work with pitchers last year, mm-hmm. but offensively he just doesn't bring much to the plate right now literally doesn't bring much to the right. plate um so the, yes the question there is bad and if you can get a little more seasoning so anytime you can take pressure off of him in terms of what might be necessary at the major league level um i think that's uh, a good thing to have as he as tomas Nito in the mets eyes hopefully c- continues to develop um infield Infield is stacked. I think there's plenty of depth there as well. I uh, don't think we're going to see, and no offense to Josh Satin or Eric Campbell, but <laughs> I think the deeper guys this year are a lot better and uh, uh, um, going to be uh, more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, uh, I'm, it escaped me right out of my mind. That's what happens when you get old, see? Uh, <laughs> but... Um, Let's talk a little bit about the infield and the depth that, that he's put together here. There is a lot of depth, especially as <laughs> I think they've got about eight guys in camp whose primary position is second base. So uh, I think the Mets in recent years, uh, you know, depth has been an issue, especially in the infield. We've seen that in recent years. Um, this year, they would have to have quite a sequence of unfortunate events to face that same problem. Because <laughs> you think, let's say, for example, Todd Frazier gets a little hurt, has to miss some right. third season. Right, right. And Jed Lowry could play third. Jeff McNeil could play third. Um, you know, never mind the next tier down of C.J. Rivera, Gavin Cicchini, Luis Guillorme, you know, those sorts of guys. So, um, there are a lot of guys who can play a lot of positions, right? And it's going to be really interesting to see how Mickey Callaway makes it all fit. I, it's certainly it's going to be an interesting thing. Uh, and as deep as the infield is, 
it seems the outfield. I, I don't know. I'm still not sold. I'm uh, I'm a little concerned now. What's your thoughts on the outfield situation? I I think that's a fair concern. It's not nearly as deep as the infield. I think uh, the Mets' success this year will hinge in large part on the corner bats, Conforto and Nimmo, having good seasons. And for Nimmo, that means basically repeating his 2018. For Conforto, it means uh, you know, kind of making last year's second half his mm-hmm. norm. Um, but center field is a question mark. And the Mets had Juan Lagares, who is not that good at hitting, but very good at fielding. And then they went out and traded for Keon Broxton, who is not that good at hitting, but very good at fielding. So um, <laughs> there seems to be some repetition there in terms of skill set. Uh, and then, you know, you mix in Jeff McNeil to some degree in terms of the outfield. Maybe you want to assess this in the second half. We'll see what's up with him uh, when he shows up to camp next week or so. Um, but, yeah, the outfield, uh, I think to have a concern there is fair. Um, center field in particular is a bit of an unknown at this point. And uh, speaking of Cespedes, uh, any word around camp? I mean, it's, it's so early yet, but any word at all about him? How does he? Uh, how, how the um, his um, um, rehab is going, or anything? Any word at all? Not yet. Uh, Brody Van Wagenen. I asked him a couple weeks ago. You know, where is Cespedes in his rehab? Is he swinging or jogging or mm-hmm. what? You know, what is he doing? Yeah, and. Brody's answer then was they'll have a better idea once Cespedes gets in the camp. And he's not here yet. Position players don't have to report for another week or so. Right. Um, so there's, there's no substance, substance, no worthwhile uh, update there. Oh, maybe he co- he'll come in riding his horse. and uh... Yeah, that would be something. <laughs> um, one of the interesting things in the offseason was the uh, – Complete lack of mentioning, uh, no word. You never heard his name the whole, the whole winter. Is Dominic Smith, uh, and yet it seems like, like you said, there's eight guys in camp that can play second base. There seems like there's, you know, eight guys that want to play first base. Uh, who, you know, Abbott and Costello. Who's on first uh, <laughs> with the Mets this year? I mean, it's so. Take your pick. I think best case scenario for the Mets in that question is Peter Alonzo mm-hmm. grabs the job in spring, is actually given the job on op- for opening day, and then runs with it. That's the best case scenario for the Mets, absolutely. He can be a big-time impact bat if he can play passable defense. Um, Dominic Smith, you're right. He's sort of the forgotten man. His stock is way down after a uh, bad year last year. Some to some fault of his own. The Mets also jerked him around a little bit, I thought. Um, but if, you know, when we get into position player job battles here, if Peter Alonso is actually bad at defense, and we'll, we'll see what the Mets think of him once uh, he gets in camp and starts playing. But if Peter Alonso doesn't win the job, uh, then to me, Dominic Smith is absolutely one of those guys who can plug that hole if, if Alonso isn't ready. Uh, Todd Frazier also gets mentioned in that, uh, along those lines on that depth chart. Um, but yeah, Dominic Smith, Stockway down. It wouldn't surprise me if he's traded, but the problem with that is uh, he has 
minimal no trade value yeah, right now. Yeah. Um, so if he has a good showing in spring, maybe, you know, shows something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he can be had. I just don't think other teams are willing to offer very much for him right now. So it, it's, it almost sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it's Alonzo's job to lose in spring. Correct. Yes. That's, uh, that's sort of the best position on it. The old, uh, you know, service time battle, you know, hold a guy down for a couple mm-hmm. years, couple, couple weeks and then next year of team control. We'll see how that service time manipulation factors in. But, uh, the wild card there to me in that possibility it's the fact that Brody Van Wagenen was a, an agent until October. And of course, uh, hated the whole service time manipulation thing. That was on the other side. <laughs> I'm really curious to see how the, how the Mets handle it. You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because for years, the, uh, the free agent market and the agents used, uh, Used the all the st- uh, saber metrics to get big contracts, and now it's sort of turning around and, and biting them in the butt. That the same saber metrics are are hurting them uh, in a way where teams say, "Hey, I don't have to sign one guy; I can sign three decent guys and get the same job out of them." So, uh, very interesting that when when now he's on the different side of the coin. Um, any talk down there or your own opinion about the uh, rule changes that may or may not take place either this year or next year, um, specifically perhaps the DH coming to the National League? Uh, no real talk down here yet. That'll probably pick up uh, either this week when spring training officially starts and or if any of those rules get actually passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but my take... I'm happy to offer my take on, on on these rules. I'm a DH guy. I grew up in a oh, no. fan. Yep, yep. And so to me, the, the DH coming to the National League is inevitable. It's not going to happen this year. It probably won't happen for 2020. But sooner or later, I'm, I'm positive that it's going to happen. Um, as far as some of the other proposed rule changes, minimum of three batters per reliever or per pitcher, for example, I think that's a pretty good idea. Um, you know, I, I think the uh, the devil's advocate says, well, you take away the strategy of it, but I think you're just removing one sort of strategy to another. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, if you have a guy who can get lefties but not righties, do you bring him in for the lefty? That's just a different kind of decision managers would have to make, and I also think it'll help uh, with the whole pace of play issue and, trying to shorten games a little bit um I, well i'm i'm against the dh <laughs> <laughs> that's okay because uh, i'm an old school guy i guess and uh i you know the relief pitcher thing i i don't i think it would almost have to go hand in hand because um what happens if you have a situation where where you bring a guy in and, you know, with one out, let's say, and he gets the first guy to hit into a double play uh, and the pitcher spot is leading off the next inning. Do you hit him in a close game or I mean, you have to hit him then in a close game. Um, I, I just think that. I don't know. I think it would almost 
as much as I hate to see the DH, I think it would have to go hand in hand. Um, otherwise, sure. it's, it's not you know it's going to be a lot of of uh, people against it. Then I I think if the if that rule was implemented, the actual rule would be um, you know a pitcher has to face three batters mm-hmm. or end the inning. So if he ends okay. the inning before the three batters, then right. you can take him out to start the next inning. Because really, the point is to limit mid-inning pitching changes. Yeah. Um, so, so that would be a you know to me at least a logical uh, exception to that rule. And I uh, uh, I noticed that some of uh, the MLB writers and and on MLB Network and uh, they've already they all uh, a few of them have uh, seemed to think that the Mets are in a good position should the DH come in uh, within the next year or two um, with uh, Cespedes coming back and Cano and uh, McNeil and and Alonzo potentially. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I think that's spot on. The Mets as constructed right now and as they're set up for the next two, three, up to five years even, Mm-hmm. Would be would benefit significantly from the DH, um, and for all the names that you mentioned, is Cespedes when he comes back from his right. injury going to be able to handle the corner outfield? I, I don't know. The Mets are going to find out. Can Alonzo be a major league first baseman defensively? We're going to find out. What's Cano going to look like as he gets towards the end of his contract? Uh, Jeff McNeil, I think, can play a lot of different spots, and I like him in the super utility role. Um, but if there was a DH, yes, that's another spot in the lineup where you could slot in and benefit from getting those at bats. So um, the Mets, probably more than most NL teams, would benefit from um, the implementation of the NLDH. I, I just don't know how quickly it's going to come and mm-hmm. how, um, you know, if it doesn't yeah. happen for five years, it doesn't matter what yeah. the Mets roster looks like <laughs> at this point. But if it happens in 2020, then that's could be a boom, you know? Yeah. I mean, the Players Association wanted tomorrow. Um, right. <laughs> I don't know because there's probably, you know, there's a number of teams that didn't plan for it. Um, it makes sure. you wonder, did did Brody uh, have an inkling at all about that this is possibly happening? Um, you know, because he was an agent. Maybe he's heard things, Sure, you know, and uh, – that's why he built the team the way he did. It's very interesting. Yeah, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me. And if and when the NLDH does come, perhaps Brody will be truthful on that subject. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, unless we could trip him, slip him some truth serum right now, I don't know if he could if he would say, "Oh yeah, Cano's going to be our DH in 2022." Just wait. <laughs> Oh, uh, and um, finally, have you uh, talking to uh, talk to Mickey Calloway at all, and and get his thoughts on the, the team that's been put together? I talked to Mickey a little bit, yeah, just the other day, and he seems excited. Maybe it's just the time of year, but Mickey to me seems much more easygoing and happier um, than he seemed for a lot of last summer. Of course, last summer when they were losing a lot. It's hard to be upbeat and easygoing constantly, uh, but th- there's th- you just got a different feel about him. Um, you know, granted, it's easy to feel good on 
day negative three of spring <laughs> training. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if you can comment on this, but I I felt as a fan last year that he improved after Sandy Alderson was gone. Now, I don't know whether it was because he, he felt more comfortable in a job halfway through the season. It just seemed that it, it almost seemed like a combination of things, that McNeil arrived, uh, mm-hmm. Sandy Alderson left, and he started playing more small ball, for lack of a better term. He, he seemed to, to hit and run more. Uh, seemed to uh, let the guy steal a little bit more. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the statistics. It's just a feeling that I had and from watching the games. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I It almost seems like um, I, I don't want to be nasty about this, but it just seems like the uh, um, was all this in on him all the time and maybe helping him along uh where he, he didn't have the freedom that he wanted i know it's just my opinion if you want to comment on that you you sure and uh, i think that's a i think that's an interesting observation and i i had not connected those dots of sandy leaving and mickey uh and the team getting better um but now that you mention it you know sandy left in late june and then the Mets started to pick it up in July, so it, it, it does match up time-wise. Mm-hmm. I just think it's probably, one, coincidental that they happen to match up, and two, in terms of you know different style of play, more ceiling, more small ball, what have you, um, it gets to a certain point where they were terrible in June. The season, they're out of contention. The season's effectively over. A little bit of what do you have to lose? Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff McNeil did give the team a different look when he was up, and he was really good. Um, so, so, and then of course, once you start winning a little bit, you know the manager is going to look better for sure, and he's right. going to be generally happier and 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 all those things. Um, so, uh, time time wise, I think it's mostly coincidence, um, but I. That's interesting that you pointed that out. I, I hadn't connected those dots. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I just felt that way, and I, you know, again, uh, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but it just seemed awful coincidental to me that it happened like that. Mm-hmm. Who, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Tim, I want to thank you so much for taking some time. I know you're busy down there, and I hope we can do this again later on in spring training. Excellent. Thank you very much, Gary. I appreciate appreciate you having me on. Okay. Anytime at all, you're welcome to come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and and thanks so much. You got it. Okay. Bye-bye now. I'll be Bye. back right after this. Hey, baseball fans and book fans as well. This is Frank Nappy, author of the Legend of Mickey Tussler series, inviting all of you to learn more about my protagonist, Mickey Tussler, an incredible pitching prodigy who has autism. Follow Mickey's journey as he captures the hearts of fans everywhere with his blazing fastball and indomitable spirit. Please visit Amazon or www.franknappy.com for more information. 
Hi, this is the world-famous Mr. Brewtown of BrewtownSports.Potomatic.com. You know, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, Plus. Uh, Brewtown Sports. You can also listen to the show at Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, and iTunes.com. And we've got the new one. It's called BrewtownRadio.Webley.com. But the one that I'm most proud of being on is BaseballPodcast.net. It is the home of great baseball talk shows. Check it out, my show and all kinds of other programs all about Major League Baseball. So check it out. That's BaseballPodcast.net, the home for great baseball talk shows. 516-619-6341. That is the comment voicemail hotline if you'd like to be a part of the show and drop us a line leave us a comment or a voicemail question anything at all call that number 516-619-6341 or go to metsmusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen and that's a speak pipe and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com the facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash Mets Musings, and the Twitter handle is at Mets Musings 1. And uh, if you'd uh, like to help out the show, check out our Patreon page. Check out the campaign at patreon.com slash Mets Musings. And we're back, and like I said, spring training camp is open. Everything is getting exciting. We still have ice and snow here in the Northeast, but uh, try to shake it off because baseball is right around the corner. Uh, Another few weeks, we'll be uh, having some games and uh, more stories coming out from down at Port St. Lucie, and that'll be a great thing because... uh, We've been starved for baseball, haven't we, all winter? Football just doesn't do it, and golf is starting up, so that's okay. But uh, baseball is what we're really looking for, so um, it'll be here before you know it. All right, and that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I want to thank my guest, Tim Healy of Newsday. We're going to have him on again throughout the season, I hope. I want to get him again uh, towards the end of spring training, maybe the middle of spring training, the end of spring training, and we'll see how the schedules uh, work, and I'd love to get him on during the season. Um, Do have the opportunity now, hopefully, to do so, and – be great to get him on and talk to him as the Mets progress through the 2019 season. And I want to thank you all for listening. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, uh, and coming soon, Spotify. So go check it out on Spotify, the show, wherever you listen or view the podcast. Hit the subscribe button. And that helps me grow the show and expand to new listeners. And remember, until the next time, keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. See you next time. Have a great night, everybody.